Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Movie Babble podcast. I am your host, Nick Cush, and this time on the pod, we're talking about Sundance 2021, which I guess finished up, what, a week ago, week and a half ago? Uh, I don't really know what time is at this point for the over, over the last year, so it ended sometime soon, but we're here to talk about it. <laughs> and so joining me on this pod, first we have Spencer Henderson. What's going on, buddy? Hi, um... Really excited to discuss foreign policy for the next three hours. <laughs> what is the United States role in the world? <laughs> no, I'm I'm pumped for I'm pumped to talk about Sundance. Yeah, I was expecting a kissing booth intro in there, so that that was a step up for me. Uh, Don't step also, on my outro, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> but also joining us here is Aubrey McKay. What's going on, buddy? I don't know how to follow that. But, you know, I'm here and I'm ready to talk about Sundance. Can't even make a kissing booth joke either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just got to beat people to the punch, you know. I just take all the wind out of your sails before we get there. But um, so, yeah, Sundance happened. We all saw a bunch of movies um, and we have to kind of break down this conversation. We have a ton of different categories that we'll get into, like our favorite movies, our least favorite movies, our biggest what the fuck movies, just a lot of different stuff in there, but um, before we get into the actual categories, I wanted to open it up to you guys just to kind of talk about your general experiences this year because uh, it was a little different. We weren't in Park City this year, which was a real bummer. But I guess I'll start with you, Aubrey. I just, what did you think of like the tech involved in this? Did you like being at home? Just, how was the overall experience for you? So for me, Sundance is <clears throat> kind of like a was kind of like a goal. I wanted to go for a while. And I wasn't, it was just never going to work. Like I'm a teacher. So that trip will never happen uh, unless some really radical things change. But being able to do it at home was really exciting for both me and my wife. So it was cool to be able to participate in a festival that we both love and follow. Um, At home, the tech was great. Like I was switching between the app on my TV and then I use my iPad a lot because we had to travel during the, uh, during the, um, film festival. So I used my iPad a lot and everything was great. I didn't have any problems outside of a few minor miscommunications that we'll, I'm sure we'll get into, but it was great. I was impressed to be able to pull that off. It was really impressive. But yeah, I was also really impressed. I thought I was going to have a ton of issues. I always feel like I run into a tech problem at the last moment, but yeah, there was, I had no problems at all. I saw way more movies than I normally did. I think Last year at Sundance, when I went in person at Park City, I saw 22 movies. And this year, I think I saw 27 total. So it was really nice not having to wake up super early and have my morning coffee (laughs) at a movie. I get to sleep in a little bit because I'm on Eastern time. But um, I liked it. I really want to go. I'm really looking forward to hopefully going back to Park City next year. But um, I thought it was really cool. Yeah, uh, this is like my... It was my first obvious virtual Sundance, but I've been going to the festival for five years now. So it's definitely a big shift. I did miss being in Park City, but as far as the tech went in it, I was really impressed as well. I had next to no issues with the tech. And um, I think that um, by making this festival online, I think that it like Aubrey says, it opens it up to a wider audience. And I always would say that it's a good thing if your film is reaching farther, especially to people who, yeah, you know, have jobs that aren't flexible and can't 
get up to Park City and plus Park City and Salt Lake for Sundance can be expensive and it can be a, a trip that's tough to take. So I would say that there there it's kind of like a push pull for me personally. Yeah, I think it's it's tough because on one hand, we I mean, you know how big just from an economic standpoint, how big the Sundance is to Park City. It's basically the the tourism due to Sundance is kind of what makes that city go and and along with like skiing and all that stuff. But um, yeah, I really hope just for their sake and I'm sure the festival will benefit from it being in person next year. But I, I hope they do kind of adopt this online part of it somehow just for like just different people like you said who can buy tickets and whatnot and see certain films because I, I thought it was really cool and i think sundance has had the opportunity to kind of sit back and watch all these other festivals like tiff and new york film festival see kind of what they do first in the virtual space and just i think i thought they did really well i had no issues other than yeah it was just there's no problems at all i thought it was great i got to watch a bunch, bunch of movies so yeah, so um, I wanted to ask you guys, because I know obviously that it's more accessible because it is virtual, but since you guys have gone and I've never been, how like, I know Nick, you said how many movies you watched, how many more movies were available for you guys to watch as opposed to being there? Like, was it a wide gap or was it just a few more? Because I don't know really how it works. Yeah, I think the the festival slate, I, I can't remember how much less it was this year, but I think they normally shoot for like 120 movies both features and docs and it was like what 75 this year or something like that so it was definitely smaller in that sense but it's kind of the same way where you have these blocks of films and it's a little different because i think on the online um software you can only choose one film per block but i think you can kind of finagle a little bit if you get out of one film early you can kind of do things go to the same block and if you can get in another movie but um, it's. I feel like it's more or less the same. I feel like they tried to kind of replicate it as much as possible, but um, I don't know. What do you think, Spencer? I mean, like you said, I was definitely able to watch a higher number of movies, and the the trick you kind of just talked about with the blocks, we kind of figured out. I think on like the second or third day and so it was like all of a sudden we were like cramming in way way more movies so i actually ended up watching 35 movies at the end of this sundance which Jesus. was crazy and i saw um one dude watched 55 and i was like how is that humanly possible like because i felt like i didn't even sleep <laughs> and this guy just like somehow crammed 55 movies in it was nuts so i feel like he's lying i don't think that's real like that's like I feel like he just like watched twenty minutes of how it ends and was like nope I'm moving on to something else and then went from there. <laughs> I mean maybe yeah like because I was trying to figure out how that was humanly possible. I seriously was because I was getting like not much sleep doing what I did. So it was it was I saw a mistake. Thirty four. I saw thirty four okay. and I was I couldn't have improved on that number. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> 34 was the maximum to where I could go or and could handle, to be honest. Yeah. Well, well to that guy, uh, I guess I salute you in, in your troubles and what you do. But um, <laughs> we'll move on to our categories here. So the first one we have here is the most Sundance movie. So this kind of this goes to the movie we think most aligns to the general perception or views of the festival. I feel like every year we like when movies premiere at Sundance, you always know this is a Sundance movie, quote unquote. So um, I think uh, we'll start with Aubrey. What is your Sundance most Sundance movie? 
So I struggle with this one. As someone who puts things in categories pretty much all of the time and ranks things, this is just a strange hobby that I have. Uh, this was a really difficult thing for me to do. Um, Cause I was, when I think of a Sundance movie, I'm thinking of something obviously, you know, really small, but it has people attached to it that are familiar. Um, generally what I've, what I've seen from a Sundance movie is something that's skews a little bit darker and it's a little edgier. And there was just a lot of those. And so I had a hard time kind of picking my way through it. But I think for me, the answer is on the count of three. It's when you kind of peel back everything that I think about when I see a Sundance movie, Gerard Carmichael is someone who is pretty familiar. Chris Rabbit is someone who's pretty familiar. There's names all throughout the cast. It skews a bit darker um, and it's pretty mm-hmm. edgy. So for me, it's on the count of three is probably what I would say is the most Sundance of all of the Sundance movies. Yeah, it's, uh, on the count of three was one that I kind of pegged to because it seems like after it debuted, it got kind of that Sundance hype immediately from a lot of different people on film Twitter. Um, not that film Twitter is real life, but it does, I guess, counts for something in this case. But uh, it did really seem like that because you also have Chris Rabbit, which um, Spencer and I are just like absolute like we're too, we're, we're too nuts for Christopher Rabbit, honestly. Um, but he's in there doing some crazy shit as per usual. And I think this is, he, he had the world to come here as well. So I feel like he's kind of a Sundance staple at this point. Cause he had two movies last year as well. Um, but yeah, do we, do we want to do our on the count of three conversation now? I feel like this is the time to kind of go deep into it. I, I I'm fine with that. That's cool. Let's, Let's do it. it. So, Spencer, what did you think? <laughs> well, I guess to kind of like piggyback a little bit off what Aubrey said, this is also my choice for the most Sundance movie Um, for a couple of reasons. I guess like this is a pretty subjective question in my mind. Like you have your movies that people associate with Sundance, you know, your Little Miss Sunshines, your Napoleon Dynamites and those types of Sundance movies, the kind of quirky offbeat ones. And then you have like, the type that I kind of try to associate with Sundance, which is like the crazy weird shit you have, like, are, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? No. How dare you? No, I'm just okay. kidding. Go ahead. Okay, all right. <laughs> shit. Crap. But <What>? yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, then you have like the ones like Sorry to Bother You. Um, you know, I'm thinking of like Blind Spotting, even though that's not really a weird movie. It's like more offbeat and stylistic. And then you have like you know, the, the Manchester by the seas and like those types of Sundance movies, which are like the drama ones. And I tend to kind of lean more towards the, the middle ones I was talking about. So I felt like on the count of three was the one this year that I felt that way about. Um, yeah. And like Nick said, we're obsessed with Christopher Abbott and he's become like my favorite part of Sundance. Cause it started with piercing for me. I went and saw piercing after having like a couple too many drinks and like there was a point in that movie where I was legitimately like I'm way too drunk for this shit right now but um yeah the I I love the projects that guy attaches himself to and this movie deals with a lot of controversial subjects in a way that I think might be off-putting to some people and I've seen that it's off-putting to some people but I really what worked for me the most about it was kind of the male friendship at the center felt really honest and it felt really um, tender in a weird way for dealing with such dark stuff. And so I actually really, really dug this movie and I hope that it finds a distributor and an audience personally. 
Yeah, it's weird because I would have thought that that movie got picked up immediately. I think we were talking before we got on here. Like that seems like it was tailor made to be an A twenty four movie or something like that. But yeah. it just hasn't been purchased yet, so we'll see. And I feel like across the board purchasing was down, which I guess just speaks to the film industry in general. But um, yeah, I thought this movie was really fascinating. I think I am a little cooler on it than you guys are, but I think I would definitely recommend it still. I thought it was a good movie. Um, I think, yeah, like you said, the male friendship in this movie is outrageously good. Christopher Abbott, um, just I don't want to ruin the song he sings to in case you haven't heard it yet. But it is one of the most amazing things I've seen in my life. <laughs> just another feather in his cap. Really, he's also one of my favorite actors right now. I think he's unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I think have we explained the plot of this movie? I guess um, basically it's Gerard Carmichael, his directorial debut. Him and Christopher Abbott are two buddies. Uh, Gerard Carmichael breaks Christopher Abbott outside of an, out of an insane asylum, and they make a suicide pact. And right before they do it, Christopher Abbott, Christopher Abbott makes a funny joke and tells them to wait. So they have one last day to kind of do whatever they want uh, before they kill themselves. So, um, yeah, really dark subject matter. I think this when this comes out, this will create a lot of different conversations just about depicting suicide and depression on screen. And I think those will be really interesting to have. Um, but yeah, I think the thing that has stuck with me is just that quirk. They have a really quirky, but really believable, um, connection that I think a lot of dudes will, uh, resonate with, but, um, for sure. I know Aubrey, what you wrote, you wrote about this movie for the site. So what did you think? I did. I, I love this movie. And so one of the things I, I found interesting about some of the discourse that I kind of saw around the film was a lot of people ran to Christopher Abbott and it, he deserves it. He's great. Stole the movie. That's one of the things I wrote in my own personal notes. Like I'm not as familiar with him as you guys are, but I'm definitely a fan now. He was amazing in the movie, but I'm, I'm interested just to hear from you guys. How familiar are you with Gerard Carmichael's work? Like his stand up and some of the other stuff that he's done. I feel like B, I don't know if I've actually seen a lot of his stand up, but he's always been that guy to me where he pops up in certain comedies. Like for some reason, I think of his little weird cameo in mid nineties. That's the first thing that pops up to me, <laughs> but I just feel like he's just one of those guys who has always been present in like my movie watching life, but I've not necessarily had a huge like pull for him, pull for him, I guess. Um, I I've never heard his stand up. kind of like Nick said, he's like kind of popped up here and there. Um, I'm really curious to look into his stuff now after seeing this movie, though, just because of how much I dug it. But I'm assuming you're a fan, Aubrey. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his. I've I've been following him for a while. I watched he did um he had this like small like miniseries type thing on HBO. I think it was HBO that came out a couple years ago. I think his stand up is on HBO as well from a few years back. I don't. I think that's where it's at. If you guys, if you like this movie or are interested in this movie, watch that because I think people that have a relationship with that stand up in particular, but Gerard Carmichael just in general, will feel this movie a bit differently. Because to me, the film takes the tone of him. It's he's really sarcastic, really dry. His humor isn't really about like kind of overt jokes, it's about kind of like observations and just kind of like sensibly reacting to something and, and he always addresses dark things and turns and finds the funny in something that's dark or inappropriate so to me this movie felt very comfortable from the beginning 
because I'm because I'm so familiar with him and I'm such a fan of his. And I just I love those sensibilities. So I was in from the beginning and I'm laughing at things that I like when I'm done laughing at them. I'm like, I don't know if I should be laughing at this. I don't know if this is funny. I don't want I don't want to get canceled because I'm laughing at these jokes, but they're funny. Like his his insights into that stuff is is both hilarious and really smart. And he's really clever as a storyteller. So seeing him be, being able to direct the film this way, I was I was impressed with him too, being able to pull this together and balance these these themes and ideas in a way that to me never comes across inappropriate, even though this if this movie gets picked up and is seen widely, it'll I'm sure it'll have some struggles with some people. But I I love this movie. Yeah, I think that are, there's going to be a lot of think pieces surrounding this movie, to say the For least. Sure. But um, yeah, it's a movie that's full, full of like really interesting contradictions because there's the one that's there's we live in a country where it's like, oh, like we're supposed to consider like life is supposed to be the most important thing ever. But then Chris Rabbit has this really funny joke where it was like, how it's so easy for me to have this gun. How is this possible? <laughs> he's just, his he's like, it's his like, gun stuff is amazing. <laughs> his gun stuff is amazing. I just it, one of the funniest scenes I've seen in a movie in a while is is him in the convenience store. It just is. <laughs> it's just brilliant work. Yeah, Chris, I love my God. He's so good in this movie. But um, yeah, I think it's there's a lot of those really funny things uh, kind of woven through this movie where it's like we should be considering life at all costs. But they're like, hey, these are all these really weird things that kind of go against that. And I think that the movie points those out really nicely. But um, I'd have to say that I thought this um, part of me thinks that this um, this like the view of depression was a little simplistic in parts. I think I guess I'd go into spoilers to really explain why. But I feel like Gerard Carmichael's character's arc is a little too easy for me. And how how it wraps up. Um, so I don't know if the overall journey was necessarily fulfilling to me, but I think Christopher Abbott, I think, is so good at kind of being hilarious, but also being deeply troubled as a as a person. So I think whatever how flaws this movie has, I think it, he picks up for a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, like I I totally see what you're saying with that Nick about the kind of where things go with certain characters. Um, I feel like that added some interesting kind of dramatic tension into the movie personally. Um, just that's me, but it, it, yeah, it might feel a little bit easy on further reflection. I kind of see where you're coming from with that, but like that, I, I thought that overall this movie, yeah, really worked for me and it's trying to comment on a lot of things. It kind of feels like one of those movies kind of like a sorry to bother you. That's throwing everything at the wall since they might not get another chance to make another movie and I tend to like it when filmmakers are kind of just trying to comment on so many, the guns in America is a great example, mental health, suicide epidemic, all these things. Um, they're things that are personal to a lot of people. And I thought that uh, I thought the movie was really provocative and interesting personally. Yeah. I think you make a good point, Nick, because it's, I think it, there's, it's, I think you're right. But I, th- I read his, his kind of development being that simplistic as as a way to showcase how important what Christopher Abbott's character is going through. So I, I read it to be almost intentionally shallow to kind of prove that like there's levels to this. 
And that's, oh, that's I don't know if that fully yeah. holds up under any kind of criticism. Like I don't know if it holds up, but that's how I how I read it. But I, I definitely see what you're talking about, too. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, it's definitely a conversation starter of a movie. Um, and it's also only like 84 minutes, which is just the music to my ears. It's just perfect. <laughs> More movies it's, like that, please. Exactly. I'm not complaining about that. But um, I guess we'll move on to my most Sundance movie here, which I picked a movie that um, well, I guess I'll just say what it is. It's Coda, which won the Audience Award and the Grand Jury Prize. So people are going nuts for this movie. Um, and when I think of a Sundance movie, I kind of lean a little towards the like the Little Miss Sunshine route that you were talking about, Spencer, where it's feel good um, family drama that kind of, that nudges up against important topics, but is ultimately there to make you feel really, really nice, um, which I think Coda does. So. Um, I think this this movie was bought by Apple too for like twenty five million dollars, which is just yeah. wild. That's just Apple just like th- throwing their dick on the table and being like, "Here, <laughs> here's our here here's our pocketbook. We could just write write a number down. And we'll buy it," which is just crazy to me. But um, yeah, so this movie is about a a deaf family, and it centers around the one uh, person in the family who is not deaf, so she has to do a lot of kind of the, the the conversation work with other people in the town just to connect the dots between the, the family and the rest of them. So she deals with a lot and they rely on her for a lot of things. So she doesn't have a lot of individuality uh, in her life. And every, every morning they work on the, they are fishermen. They go out before uh, she goes to high school. They do all their work on the boat and they come back in and she goes to school and she also wants to be a singer. So that setup it kind of sound, also sounds pretty Sundancey, where it's someone finding their individuality. Um, but um, people really, really like this movie, and I can see that. I'm not crazy about this movie. I also kind of like on the count of three. I recommend it. I like this movie. Um, ultimately, I think it's it really kind of dipped into like the little bit of the saccharine uh, sweet area for me because it does follow a lot of the same beats of these sort of family dramas. But the one interesting thing about this is that it's a deaf family. So it kind of flips a lot of those conventions on its head, um, which I think is really interesting. But I think underneath that is still a lot of the kind of like those same tropes, which kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. But I think this movie is wonderful. I hope people see this movie or it doesn't get just like buried on Apple TV plus because no one watches Apple TV plus. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I like this movie. I thought it was really cute. Definitely a Sundance movie. I, I love Coda as well. I feel like I'm this. This is starting off me being very repetitive, but I love this movie too. Now, I will also say I'm a bit of a sap. And I am a sucker for coming of age stories. Like they're some of my favorite type of stories. And so when you, I don't mind the convention if you do it well. Like if you're going to do something that I've seen a bunch of times, you have to execute it really well. And I think that's what Coda does. It, it just, it takes its conceit, which is interesting, and then uses conventions that we've already seen, but it just does them in my, in my view, it does them very, very well. And so it just works. It hits all the emotional beats, even though I see all them coming. It hits all of them. And it just works. Like, I enjoyed watching this movie. I watched it twice. Like, I'll watch it. I'll be the one that watches it on Apple TV+. Plus. <laughs> like, and it's, But it's one of those things where it's an easy recommend because I don't know anyone that wouldn't like it. Like, it's just or wouldn't at least enjoy it. Like, it's just a solid, well-made movie. 
Yeah, you're kind of you're kind of an awful human being if you don't really like this movie. Like it's one of those where it's like it's just it's nice. It's very well intentioned where it's like you can maybe think it's not the most innovative thing in the world, but it's really sweet and it wears its heart on its shoulder. So like I can't like you can't hate on this movie too much. I, I think I literally fall like right in between the both of you. Um, I wouldn't say that like I loved Head Over Heels, love this movie. But um, in fact, the first third of this movie, I actually actively disliked because it felt so formulaic um, other than the death family thing. I Mostly a lot of the first third of it takes place in our school. And I thought that all of that stuff felt so like tired and uninteresting to me. But the further this film went along and the more the conflict kind of developed, um, I got really attached to these characters over that course of time. And by the end of the movie, I was seriously loving the movie, I would say. So it's definitely one that to me, in, in some ways, it was a mixed bag. But I thought the third act of the movie was so good that it really brought it home for me. There's a couple of quiet moments towards the end that are just like so beautiful and powerful. And I haven't really seen anything like them in a coming of age movie, particularly because it's about a type of family you haven't really seen in a movie before. Um, But quickly, uh, my girlfriend watched all of these movies with me and uh, she's kind of a lot of times the the thing I can gauge how normal audiences will react to something. (laughs) And she was like, nuts about coda like she literally thought it was like the greatest thing she had seen in a long time five started on letterboxd you know she was like she all she talked about coda for the rest of the festival pretty much so i think that it has the kindred stamp of approval and so maybe audiences it'll find an audience and they'll don't you think don't you guys think this would do well in theaters if it got a theater run maybe word of mouth word of mouth i think would be what would have to pull the audiences there because like nick said i don't think there are many people who aren't going to like this movie i think this is a perfect movie if it was going to theaters i think like every person's grandma would go nuts for this movie because they'd be like they'd walk out and they'd be like oh that was so lovely i had such a wonderful time um so i think there was a chance but obviously who knows when theaters are coming back, yeah. but yeah. Um, I mean, it's good for Apple. I don't know. I mean, I guess they, they, they win again. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if but, people actually go watch it. Yeah, really. Um, I hope people watch it. It's really cool. But um, yeah, I guess we'll move on to our second category, which is the best midnight section slash just general horror movie. So um, I think the midnight section was actually the smallest of all the sections this year. So I wanted to also include a few other horror movies in there because I feel like they're kind of they're in the same vein there. So um, I'll start this one out. Uh, so I wanted to mention I don't know if this movie is my favorite, um, but I had a really good time watching Ben Wheatley's In the Earth, which is his pandemic movie that he I think it was the fir- one of the first productions back uh, from COVID last summer in the UK. Um, so this is basically um, it's there's hardly a plot in this movie, but it's two scientists are going out into the woods to go find another scientist who's been missing. And then just crazy shit happens for an hour and a half. <laughs> That's basically the movie. Um, it's at one part, like you think for a second that it's going to be two people walk in the woods for an hour until um, something happens in the third act. That's kind of creepy, but 
um, immediately. Like they're in the sleeping in their tents at night and someone like beats the shit out of them, shit out of them and they run, they fall down a hill and you're like, what is happening? It's like total whiplash right away. Um, and from there, like the, the way this movie like shows insanity, cause I guess the virus itself, the movie is about a pandemic, uh, pretty close to COVID, but it's about something that's coming out of the earth. Um, hence the title, but, um, it's these, the characters, the way this movie acts is that the characters aren't aware of how crazy everything is happening. So they're trying to interact with each other, but nothing makes any sense by the third act. It literally, like you couldn't, like if you tried to take this movie, literally, you would have no idea how to explain it to somebody, but, um, like the, the whole, like the, like everything is just falling apart by the third act. And it just kind of just descends into psychedelic trippy craziness, uh, with a lot of, a lot of really good practical gore effects in there too. There's a crazy guy just out in the woods who's like weirdly pleasant at times, but also kind of sinister. Um, there's also a folklore pagan thing in there as well. It's a very weird movie, but um, I had a lot of fun with this, and I think Neon picked it up. So uh, that's my pick. It's a strange movie. It's this is a strange movie. <laughs> I I went into it with the with with an open mind and an open heart. And I was like, this sounds interesting. And I was here for, I was here with it for a while. And then when it kind of drifted off, it, it lost me. And it was, I heard some people compared it to annihilation, I think, um, which I found that to be a, an app comparison because I didn't really love annihilation either. And I think for me, it's, I'm cool with things that require me to think I'm cool with things that require me to put it together when you get into like a complete abstract thing where it's like no one knows what's going on, that's when I'm a little bit lost. And that's where I feel like this one went in the third act. And I just, it lost me a little bit. I like the first half, but the the second half lost me for sure. Yeah, it's a, uh... It's it is one of those where literally nothing makes sense in the end. So you can say like, oh, it's abstract and it's up to your interpretation. But that also kind of does um, hide a lot of messiness that's in this movie. Um, but I do like how Ben Wheatley he kind of just like plays with the form as well. Like there are scenes where it cuts between a really nice looking camera and then a clearly like a lo-fi, more like video-y looking camera. And there's like certain scenes where they're where he throws in a few black frames between cuts and it's just very jarring. Um, so in that sense, I kind of got on its wavelength a little bit cause it's just very, very weird and it's totally into its own idea of, Hey, let's just have all of this going to insanity and, and even the structure of the film itself, which, uh, I thought it was kind of fun. I think that would be, I, I would be interested to see how that movie would play in theaters because I, I could see a lot of people being like, that was the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life. And then a lot of people who get on <laughs> get on its wavelength and be like, oh, that was pretty cool. That was a fun movie to see late at night. So uh, I don't know. I think Neon picked up this movie as well. Or I think I said that earlier, but um, I would have liked to see this movie in theaters, I guess. It it definitely would get an F cinema score. I have no doubt in my mind. <laughs> For sure. Um, I, I agree more with Nick on this one. The only thing I'll say about it is that Joel Fry's foot goes through a journey in this movie. Oh <laughs> like <God. laughs> his foot is the most interesting character in the entire thing, I would say. Ben Wheatley loves just messing with his foot. Like as soon as you think it's a better, it's like, no, let's like put some more shit in there and like mess around, make that gash a little more gross. Uh, <laughs> it's really funny. He's having a lot of fun with it. But um, yeah, that's in the earth. Really fun movie. I'm looking forward to that. Actually, people get to see that in the world. But um, Spencer, why don't you go next? 
Yeah, so um, mine actually isn't a midnight uh, movie. Real quick, I just want to say about the midnight section. Midnight is usually my favorite part of Sundance because, um, like, I love horror movies, so they're, like, my favorite genre. So I was really excited, and I was like, oh, I'm going to catch every midnight movie this year. There's a lot of, like, thrillers this year is what I noticed. Like, there's a lot of really dark, really disturbing thrillers. Um, but one movie that's a horror movie that was outside of the midnight, I, th- I think it must have been world dramatic. Um, it's called Eight for Silver. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure the reaction to this was kind of mixed. But if you were going to make a movie for me, like specifically for me, it'd probably be a horror movie because it's my favorite genre. I love werewolf movies, so automatically I'm in with any type of a werewolf movie. Like American Werewolf in London is one of my favorite movies. And then um, gothic horror slash period horror, like uh, I'm such a sucker for. I am the guy who says Crimson Peak is in like the top five most underrated movies of the 2010s. (laughs) So I would say that Eight for Silver really, really worked for me. Um, you know, you got, uh, what's, what's the lead actor's name? I don't know why I'm blanking on it right now. Is it Boyd Holbrook? Boyd Boyd Holbrook. Yeah. You got Boyd Holbrook, like as this, um, as this, uh, pathologist. I don't know. I couldn't think of that word either. Who (laughs) he goes to this town where weird shit is happening. There's stuff with gypsies going down. There's just a bunch of crazy stuff in this movie. And this is one of those movies that, you're like the scale of it for a Sundance movie, especially is pretty impressive because it had to have some type of a budget and it's like a hard R gory, gory horror movie that at parts, it kind of reminded me of John Carpenter's the thing. Um, but it's a completely new take on the werewolf kind of mythos. So I found it really interesting. I do have complaints with that. I don't think it's a perfect movie for sure. They'd get into spoilers with it, so I won't go into them, but, um, as far as horror movies go, I, f- I feel like this is kind of the no-brainer. This this one for me is is what I would put as my number one of the Sundance Film Festival. 2K21. Uh, Boy to Hold Brook Against Werewolves just has me sold. I didn't get a chance to see this movie, and I'm really bummed I didn't. But that, that in and of itself is, just sounds amazing to me. <laughs> I got to see it, and I can speak to the craft that you were alluding to, Spencer. Like, it's really well made. Looks great. Um the the effects are really really good like i that stuff i was blown away by um where it fell short for me was just on the tension i didn't i didn't feel a lot of tension going through this it felt a little bland or even flat and so the craft got me through i enjoyed it i'd watch it again for sure but i just i wanted a little bit more tension from it but it's solid it's fair you want to give a give a your pick aubrey yeah, so mine, I guess mine would fall in that thriller category. I'm not even sure if it was a midnight movie. I didn't see it at midnight. I saw it at like 7 a.m., which is a weird time to watch this movie. <laughs> but mine was mine was knocking. Um, that, that was a midnight movie, by the way, Aubrey. It was. Okay, well, good. So then I, I fit it in the category. I didn't really cheat then because it was a midnight movie. <laughs> I think this whole category is a cheat because I just wanted to talk about In the Earth, which I don't think is also in the midnight section either. So whatever. <laughs> but this one worked for me in the tension that I was missing in Eight for Silver. Like this was just a completely tense movie from beginning to end. Like I'll, I've lived in apartments pretty much my whole life. I live in like an apartment now. I will never respond to knocking on the walls the same 
ever again. Um, and just when I'm looking for horror movies or any kind of thriller or anything like that, I just want tension. I want to feel like something sinister or bad is going to happen. I want to feel that. I want to be on the edge of my seat. I want to. I want you to push me and make me guess where you're going to go and and feel that kind of concern and worry that the characters are feeling. And I got that from this. So for me, like if you're going to line up a horror or a thriller, that's this one hit a lot of the right spots for me. It also it was short and quick. I was in and out. <laughs> like put me on the edge of my seat and then let me go home. Like let me get out of here, get to the next one. It's it's not anything that I wouldn't I would recommend it to people who like thrillers. I wouldn't I wouldn't rave about it. I'm not going to see when you've got to see it. It's a it's a well-made movie. It's a good movie. If you're looking for something that's that'll kind of play with you with the tension scale, not gonna do that for sure. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to see that one either. That was kind of one I was looking forward to, but um, I, I cool. saw actually. I'm I'm a little less positive on it than Aubrey is. I think the lead performance in this is great, and I think there was like great camera work. Um, but I felt actually kind of underwhelmed at the end of the movie most of my complaints are spoiler related so that's pretty much all i'll say about it. I'm, I'm totally glad it worked for you i also live in an apartment and um yeah, it'd be a freaky situation if you heard knocking all the time but yeah it changes like, things yeah for sure <laughs> but side, side note um our dog when the knocking was going on she was walking around our apartment trying to find where the knocking was coming from so that was a little more entertaining for me that's amazing it's funny yeah that's good um i guess i guess we'll move on to the next category um so the next one we have here is the best documentary so i always like to check out the documentaries at sundance i feel like they're never my first choice which I don't know what that says about me, but because I feel like I should prioritize documentaries a little more. But every time I sit down, there's always a few that really catch me by surprise and are really thought provoking and really interesting. So I wanted to spotlight these here. But um, Spencer, why don't you go first? Cusp. Um, for me, Cusp was uh, the experience I kind of hoped for in the documentary at Sundance. Um blew me the hell away like I, I honestly felt so emotionally devastated by the it by it by and the entire film not even by the end of the film the entire movie um it feels in a lot of ways to me like it could make up like a spiritual trilogy with the florida project and american honey um, yes that's such a good point yeah like it it deals with a I guess a community or a population in America that we don't often see represented in film. And in this case, it's a small rural town in Texas with these three teenage girls. And this movie is like, in some ways, the most horrifying movie that I saw at Sunday. It's like, I consider putting this one in like the best horror movie I watched because a lot of it deals with, um, consent and sexual assault and all these things these these girls are talking so frankly about it because it's just a part of their life in this community and it makes you feel really really sick like it's not an exaggeration to say that like no man within a probably 30 mile radius of this camera is a decent person um and i think that that it, it makes it more disturbing when you contemplate that this is real life 
And uh, overall, like, I just really found this movie to be something that it it really moved me. It disturbed me. It um, it made me think a lot about how common these types of things are in America. And I think that that is what I expect from a good documentary is to make me kind of reevaluate um, kind of my perspective on things like to be challenged a little bit so two years in a row at Sundance my favorite documentary comes out of Texas with Boys State last year and not Cusp this year so only good thing I love out of this Texas. movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna leave that one there uh, that was hard, I, I didn't I, mean it. I didn't mean it yo I got friends in Texas I got you <laughs> Texas is okay <laughs> I love this movie too uh, I'm with you, Spencer. I thought this movie was so devastating. Also, 83 minutes long. I'm sensing a trend on this podcast, but um, this it was just terrific. Yeah, I, I really want this to kind of go on like a seven up esque trajectory. I would love to to just see like view with these girls again at some point down the future, because it really does leave it open ended. I mean, obviously they have a lot of life to live. They're what 17, so they're kind of still dealing with a lot, but. Yeah, it's just it's one of those kind of verite documentaries that I just kind of really adore where it's just you follow them in their lives. And, yeah, like you said, they talk about things really frankly and it's really upsetting, but um, you can't help but just hope for a good life for all these girls. I thought they were just so fascinating and so interesting. So um, I, I, I love to see what these documentarians do next. I forget their names off the top of my head, but I thought it was just great. But, um, yeah, I would love to see more with these girls in it. So this was one of the movies I was most looking forward to because, of you know, I like coming of age stories, uh, documentaries. It takes a bit of a, a even more real tone for me because I am a teacher and I work with kids and I work with kids that are this age and I have for a long time. So that it hits home a little bit more. Um, and the filmmakers are Parker Hill and Isabel Bethencourt. Um, just to put that in there, but they do an amazing job of capturing this. Like all of the stuff that you guys are alluding to is so great. I think what, what struck me most is the casual way in which these girls are talking about uh, the consent or lack thereof, or the way that they're viewed and treated in these relationships, just the casual nature in which they talk about it as if like, they don't even really understand the gravity of it because it's such a reality for them is that's it's so chilling like it's hard to watch this and not and just not have not be changed by it and so i'm just i was blown away by it. i kind of watched it in in awe the entire time just like how were you able to get this which from what i from what i saw it was pretty random how they even got to meet these girls and then do this but the stuff that they get is amazing um I love the comparisons you made, Spencer, because those are really good comparisons. I'm blanking on the documentary that it reminded me of, but it came out a couple years ago with skateboarders, and it was so good, and I can't remember it, but it, I'm going to get the name in a minute. And it reminds me of that in a way of just like capturing an, uh, capturing just a, a reality for certain people that gets overlooked really easily. Yeah, I think this I think this was a highlight for a lot of different people. So I encourage people to check it out whenever it becomes available. But I guess my choice was a really interesting it's kind of an essay almost, but it's called All Light Everywhere. Um and it's I could see a lot of people watching this and saying that was one of the most pretentious things I've ever seen. Uh but I thought this movie was fascinating. So it starts with 
Um, I think the director's name is Theo Anthony, and he worked in this movie for like four or five years. But this movie starts with a view of someone's optic nerve in the back of their eye. And it talks about how that's the thing that that's the nerve that connects your eye to your brain and sexually helps you see things. And they talk about how that at that optic nerve, you're actually not seeing anything. It's just transferring information. Um, so basically it's setting up this idea of even when you're seeing, you're not actually seeing. And so it wraps this really heady philosophical idea into ideas of policing and police brutality which i thought were really fascinating because from there it goes it um spends a lot of time at axios which does a lot of um body cams for police forces and as well as a lot of tasers i think they own like 85 percent of the market share or something nuts but they go on this really interesting philosophical debate of talking about how body cams where um they may not necessarily um, people who are making them may, may not necessarily have bad intentions, but they're fundamentally asking the wrong questions because they're viewing only a picture, only a little bit of the frame and what is possible. And like when there's like a police encounter with somebody, like it's not telling the whole picture and it's inherently biased in what it's doing. Um, so it's like two hours of basically that where it's connecting philosophical debates and um, like old scientists from the 1800s and how a lot of their scientific studies were based on like pure conjecture and how a lot of that kind of sp sprinkles until uh, today and kind of the connections there. So um, it's really fascinating. I don't know if this movie is going to be for everyone. It's very meditative um, and very, th but very thought provoking. So um, I thought this movie was really fascinating. If people want to check it out, it's more of an essay, honestly, than a documentary, but um, I thought it was really cool. I really liked it. It sounds like it's for me. I didn't see that one, but I'm mad I missed it now. That sounds great. Yeah, it's it's it, it gets you thinking because there's so many different things. They they show this one guy who is trying to create like this God's eye drone um, in Baltimore, which I think it came in the news and like they just like covertly did it and people were really mad about it. But he's trying to bring it back. And it's basically just to have like a God's eye view of like just neighborhoods at all times. And it's showing how like. Like I get like people like documentaries basically going into it with like, I get what you're doing. You're trying to be really safe and like trying to look out for crime, but you're just going about this the whole, like the, just <laughs> the worst way possible. So um, I thought it was, yeah, I hope people will look this one up. It's really, really interesting to me, but um, Spencer, I guess, or Aubrey, I think you're up. Why don't uh, you pick yours or tell about yours? Yeah. So before I do that, if you weren't able to gather which documentary I compared cuffs to from the amazing clues I left you, it's minding the gap. Uh, so I, maybe I can save a little face with my wonderful description. Minding the Gap is the movie I thought about when I was watching Cusp. I um, love Minding the Gap, Aubrey. That movie was incredible. Also Sundance movie. So it was so good. Blew me away in a similar way. Just the way that it kind of highlights an aspect of life that is easily overlooked because you just don't experience it or see it. It is beautiful in that way. Um, so Cusp, I, there was three documentaries. I watched a lot of documentaries. I kind of used them as palate cleansers in between movies. To kind of just like, okay, I could take a break from seeing like, you know, a bunch of gore and horror and censor and I'll watch, you know, a bunch of kids try to go to college. But so I watched a lot of documentaries and there were a few that really spoke to me and Cusp was one of them and it was my favorite until the last day I watched Flea. 
and flee is this harrowing story of this uh, of this man and his family trying to escape um I don't remember which country they were in, but I know he ended up in Russia a long time. He tried to get out of there. Um, I think I think it was Iraq, if I'm not mistaken. And this this documentary is everything I love about documentaries and films just in general, because I want to experience things and see things that I didn't know. I want to learn things that I didn't know. And I want to understand perspectives and the way people are living their lives in ways that I could never imagine on my own. And this story is moving it's chilling, it's horrifying, and it, it ends up being just so beautiful. It's one of the it's one of the better documentaries I think I've probably ever seen, just because of how it made me feel, but also it looks incredible. Like the animation is great, and the idea of doing that and the purpose behind which they did it is very clever. Um, and adds to the meaning and the feeling that you have with it. It's it it might be the movie I would recommend people to watch from all the movies I watched at Sundance. It's just amazing. It was Afghanistan. I was mistaken. It's Afghanistan, the country that he fleed as a child. Yeah, Flee is um amazing. That movie's it really knocked knocked me back too. Uh, it goes well. I think I saw it on its premiere and it was just it was just, it really blew me back. But yeah, the animation in it is so great and I thought it was really interesting because for a while there, it kind of just it conceals his identity. The guy talking, I think they mention his name like later on in like the third act of the movie. But um, I thought it was a really interesting tool that a lot of documentaries can use too to conceal identities and tell harrowing stories that need to be told. So um, I think this movie was also picked up by Neon. So I'm sure people Which will makes be seeing a lot this of too. Sense. Yeah. So I hope people will get to see this movie because it's really terrific. Ditto. I mean, like uh, you guys pretty much covered the bases with this one. Uh, I also like Aubrey the last day. And um, I like am, it might be the one good choice I've made this entire year to catch Flea on the on the last day of Sundance because I was like, oh, yeah, had I missed that one, I would have regretted it when I eventually caught up with it. So, yeah, it's really good. But I guess from there, we'll move on to our next category, which is a fun one, which is the biggest what the fuck movie uh, that we watched. Um, a lot of different definitions here, but I'll let Aubrey go first here. I don't even know how to describe this movie. So mine is <laughs> Prisoners of the Ghostland. Now, I watched this movie because I was like, I almost picked this as the most Sundance movie because this is what I see people on Twitter talking about when they go to film festivals. It's movies like this one that are wild and crazy and they have a crazy idea and they just, it's just madness for however long the movie lasts for. So I was like, I've got to watch at least one of these. And I was, it was either going to be CryptoZoo or this one. So I picked this one. And it's fun. I'm not going to. It's a lot of fun. It's outside of my range of like what I would personally love to watch. It's a little too crazy for me, but it's a lot of fun. I just I enjoyed seeing Nicolas Cage do his thing. I enjoyed seeing like this movie just lose its mind over and over and over again. But yeah, it's this category is perfectly described. I don't know what the fuck that movie is or what it's about. I do know I would watch it again. Because it's a crazy good time. 
but I feel like I, just, I might need to clear the floor for you guys. <laughs> this movie's insane. <laughs> I also have no idea how to describe this movie. Like, do we know what happens in this movie? Could we explain the plot of this if we tried? I feel like I can explain I, the first 10 minutes of it. And then after I that, I, I doesn't I he got to save somebody from something? Yeah, she's in she's in the ghost land. The governor's like, you know, I'm not going to say too much about it because it hasn't come <laughs> out yet. But um, he has to go. Yeah, take somebody from a land that people don't return from because there may be ghosts. There may or may not be ghosts in this land. And he has bombs attached to his balls. <laughs> I mean, not just, but yes. Where are they? They're, so Nick Cage has to wear, like, it's Bill Mosley is the is like the evil dude, right? He's like the whitest person you've ever seen in your life. He's like the white devil where he's terrorizing this Japanese like city and he's like an all white and he's almost like the, the Colonel from KFC. It's hilarious. <laughs> but, um, and it's, yeah. So Nick Cage has to go out and save his, his granddaughter, I guess, uh, who's played by Sophia Butella, who's always terrific. Um, yes, and just, re- and return her to their town. But in between all that crazy shit happens. Yeah. You're not <laughs> watching Cage this has... movie for plot people. You're not <laughs> watching this movie for the plot. <laughs> Nick Cage has like, yeah, he has bombs strapped to his testicles. He is, he wears a football helmet and gets into a samurai sword fight at one point. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, honestly, I don't even know if I want to say much more about this movie. It's just a crazy amount of shit. Um, it's really interesting. I listened to the QA Q&A of it and they talked about how it's just ultimately like a mismatch of like Eastern and Western uh, sentimentalities kind of just, just they've like threw them all together and see what happens. And so I'd be interested to see if I watch this movie again, if I pick up on that a little more, because it does dip. Honestly, the movie feels like it's like a, this whole surreal thing where it's like, wait, did I just miss five scenes? What happened here? I have no idea. He's back in the ghost land. What's going on? But, um, yeah, I think Spencer liked this movie the most out of all of us. So yeah, I mean <laughs> this this is this is in the running for my favorite movie of the festival. Um, I think that what I what surprised me so much about it is like, uh, you know, Akira Kurosawa is my favorite filmmaker, and um, I love his samurai movies, and this felt like an homage to that, but also an homage to like spaghetti westerns from like Sergio Leone as well. Um, but it also had that wacky Nicolas Cage energy <laughs> that it brought to it. So it's like if you put all of that stuff into a blender and like Nick said, what they said in the Q&A, kind of, um, you know, combining these Eastern and Western sensibilities, it comes out looking like this. And I thought that it was just a total blast from beginning to end. Um, I do not think it would be the same movie it is without Nicolas Cage. Like he is very doing something that... I would probably argue no other actor could do, you know, to the level and extent that he is. He's really, really going for it in this movie. And um, I admire the commitment. I like movies that are crazy. Once again, this feels large scale. In some ways, I was reminded of Mad Max at, at points in the movie. Not Fury Road, but more like Thunderdome, that that um, kind of tone of Mad Max where it's more corny and cheesy. But just like really fun and goofy at the same time, you know, like this movie is like one step away from having like master blaster from Thunderdome in it. So I would say, uh, see this movie. If what I just said sounds interesting to you, if not, um, 
and this does not sound like your cup of tea, then avoid it because you're going to hate your life watching this movie. <laughs> you got to you gotta know what you're signing up for and for be okay sure. with it. But it's fun enough. I enjoyed it. And these usually are not the type of movies that I go for, but I had a good time with it. Yeah, and uh, Nick Cage at one point says testicle. Um, and it is one of the best one of the best line readings I think I've ever <laughs> that seen entire in my speech, entire life. Dude, that entire speech is seriously <laughs> like on it's it's on the same level as other great film speeches, in my opinion. Like I love that so much. It was so good. Uh Nick Cage, he's a treasure. Um I think I'm gonna go a I'm gonna national off. treasure. One might say. <laughs> oh wow. I see what you did there. <laughs> I think I'm going to ba- um, piggyback off Aubrey a little bit and go into my biggest what the fuck movie. And uh, this is CryptoZoo, um, which is so weird. Um, I don't even know how to describe this movie. It's basically the best way I can put it is it's an, it's a hand drawn animated movie, which basically the entire movie looks like Napoleon Dynamite's drawings, like his Liger drawings. And I'll get more t- to that in a little bit. But it's that, and it's like if LSD could like in, be infused with animation itself. Um, so, <laughs> CryptoZoo is this very, very weird movie. Like I said, 2D hand-drawn. Um, and it's basically, if I had to describe this movie, it's basically Jurassic Park um, a little bit. Because it's about this adventuring uh, woman who's trying to save all of these really bizarre animals. Like, they're all these crazy mythical beings. Like, there's like dragons, and then there's this kid who has a face in the middle of his stomach it's very creepy um, but there's just all these crazy like there's like this dream uh little monster thingy it's just all these really bizarre uh, like fever dream kind of monsters but she's trying to save all these people and there's kind of like a vincent d'onofrio jurassic world character who like wants to weaponize all these characters and basically use them in the army um so that's basically the movie um so they're trying to save all these animals in their park um, but it's, uh, it's, I, I don't know how to describe it. One of the first 15 minutes, I think I was laughing harder than any other movie I watched at Sundance. Cause it's so weird. And I think Michael Sarah plays one of the voices for like 10 minutes and then his character meets a certain, um, conclusion. I'll leave it there. But, uh, yeah, crypto zoo is a trip. Um, I imagine this movie would be amazing with just getting high or like any other kind of drugs. <laughs> Watching this movie sober is probably isn't the way to go. I didn't get to see this one, but this is how easy I am to watch a movie. You described what sounds like a terrible time, Napoleon Dynamite style animation. Then you said Jurassic Park, and I was like, I'd watch it. <laughs> That's like, honestly, Nick, I didn't even make the Jurassic Park connection. But now that you're saying that, it seems like a heavily inspired crypto zoo. Um, I saw this one. I was expecting it to be like a little more crazy. I would also probably compare it in a way to like heavy metal in the sense that it's like adult animation. Like it's a hard R rated. Yeah, um, really hard animated R. movie. <laughs> yeah, like the graphic nudity throughout the entire movie. Um, but also I just like I feel like it played everything so straight in it that that's why, what kept me from having like a better time if i've been a little bit more tongue-in-cheek i think i would have liked this movie a little bit more but even so i'm glad i watched this because it was i'd rather watch this type of a movie than land or something along those lines so <laughs> yeah it's really it, it is weirdly earnest 
Like it's yeah. it really loves all of these animal creatures, which I guess is kind of endearing. But yeah, the movie it does it does uh, wear a little thin in the end. It probably would have worked better as like a thirty minute short or something like that. But uh, yeah, it's it's one of those that you see at Sundance. It's a one of a kind thing. So if you're in the mood and this kind of sounds like your bag, uh, I recommend it. But um, Spencer, why don't you go with your pick? Yeah, I mean for me, it's most definitely Strawberry Mansion, um, which. Kind of like CryptoZoo, it's legitimately unlike anything I've ever seen Like in my entire life. Um, I'd like to say that this seems like... I know people oftentimes will use the wrong term when they're talking about Lynchian thing, but it kind of reminded me of Twin Peaks in the sense of how the characters interact with one another and the way that it's being surreal in the film um that kind of made me think of that also kind of reminded me of like uh too many cooks like that type of a (laughs) type of experience um like for example i i wrote this in uh, my letterbox review there's a scene with a frog playing a saxophone on a beach and that doesn't even crack the top five weirdest things you see in this movie so i i would say that like if that intrigues you and that sounds interesting um i would check this movie out uh the general plot of the movie is like there's this there's this guy it takes place in the like future and but it's like a retro future at the same time and he goes to this old woman's house the titular strawberry mansion to um (laughs) attempt to like audit her dreams (laughs) which is like already super weird but um, he starts to discover things about this lady throughout the course of this movie. And um, she has a turtle that's name, I think, was like Sugar Baby or something in the movie. So like, it's, <laughs> there's a bunch of really weird stuff. But I had a great time with Strawberry Mansion. I think that I'd be really curious to see where this uh, filmmaker or, or filmmakers. I don't really know how many people were involved. I should have looked at, but um, where their career goes next, because this is certainly singular and one of a kind. And even though I don't think it completely sticks, I had a great time watching this film. You had me at Frog playing the saxophone. I need. To, I. I don't think even think I listened to anything else you said. I'm in. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. That was. That was. I always love. Uh, I always live for the just like the weird what the hell is happening Sundance movies because there's always a few of them. But um, I guess from from there we'll go to a little bit of a downer, which uh, this category is our least favorite movie of the festival. And the funny thing is we all hated the same movie the most. Um, so I guess Aubrey, take it away on why you hate how it ends. I, I, just, I knew every movie wasn't going to be good. I knew I didn't think the one that had the most people in it that I knew was going to be the one that was going to be bad, though. It, how it ends just doesn't work for me because I don't I don't really think anything's going on. I don't really it doesn't appear to have much of a direction. The humor is half baked at best. It just it never really comes together in a meaningful way. I just didn't find I didn't find anybody interesting. I didn't really connect to what was going on. It honestly, it was just bland. And so it's it's less of a hate because like I don't I don't feel anything about this movie. Like I just watched it and it was over and I was like, this wasn't very good or impactful or interesting. Like I'll probably never think about this movie again. Yeah, I hated this movie. 
Uh, I passionately <laughs> dislike this movie. Um, so I think this was it was directed by um, Zoe Lister Jones, I think, and then also by Daryl Wayne, I think her husband. But yeah, this movie I think was made during COVID. So and you can kind of tell because it's super half baked. But basically, the idea of the story is that's just um, Zoe Lister Jones also stars in the movie, and she is. T- tagging alongside of her is her former younger self, which is just like already like, oh, okay, we're doing we're doing this kind of thing. Um, but basically, the world is going to end, and everyone's trying to get to this crazy party on the last day of Earth. And she just kind of walks around the streets of LA and says hello to all of her famous friends that I guess were available for five minutes to <laughs> record a scene. Uh, and then we move on from there to the next famous cameo. And that's kind of it. And then there's like this kind of sappy thing about finding yourself again. Cause you have the whole uh, traveling with your former self thing, which is just pretty stupid, but um, yeah, it's just like, you, there's just famous people thrown in there. Um, I hope Charlie day got a good paycheck for this movie. That's all I'll say there. But uh, yeah, I just, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I want but, Fred Armisen uh, to get the point. He was great. His <laughs> his couple minutes were amazing. He was the one part I didn't hate because everyone else is just like it seems like they just kind of were like, "Hey, we're making this movie, so are you free tomorrow?" Okay, cool. We'll just kind of vamp when we get that there is and what just it do felt like. Yeah, and by just the way, we don't have a script. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, I get it, because I feel like we're, like, we've already had a few COVID movies. Like, we had that Locked Down movie with Anna Hathaway and Jules Elledger 4 already. Uh, it was on HBO Max. And there's a there's a bunch of others, too. So I kind of get it, where it's like, what, what are you going to do? It's COVID. Like, it's really hard to make a movie right now. So I can't, I can't exactly hate the idea of, like, actually making this. But it was just... It just wasn't funny. It was just a bunch of people trying to just do improv for an hour and 20 minutes. Um, that was probably the best part of the movie that it was really short. Um, but um, yeah, it was just people trying to be funny and it really wasn't, there's was really nothing to it. And then the movie's over. Um, but yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, you guys pretty much covered it. I thought it was terrible. Like, I mean, I, I <laughs> I didn't know that it was a COVID ch- like shot movie. It was shot during the pandemic or anything. But like, I'm pretty sure like two minutes in, I figured out just because of how things looked and all that. Um, but it, it feels so lazy and just like uninspired. In some ways, it seems kind of like it's trying to do a Richard Linklater slacker kind of thing where you have characters just talking but like i guess the difference is that movie has some the characters are saying some interesting things in it and there's like some (laughs) conversations that are moderately compelling and at the time that hadn't really been done before that type of mumblecore type of or that that breed of mumblecore movies um and i uh yeah i hated this movie i i don't have much more to say it, it was awful and i am i regret every second i spent watching it yeah uh the less said about how it ends the better so we'll move on uh <laughs> our next category is kind of a half step up i guess but this is our most okay movie of the festival so kind of the movie that just had you with a shrug um, so I guess I'll go first here, but my movie was prime time, which I was actually looking forward to cause the, the premise is really good. So this is a hostage movie, um, where I think it's the ball is about to drop. It's, it's uh, new year's Eve in 1999. 
Um, but it, they, I, I feel like they mentioned that it's 1999 like 50 times, but it doesn't really play into the movie. But um, so this is a Polish movie and they're doing like this is like this, not an infomercial like station, but they're doing like these like weird like giveaways and like collars and, and stuff like that. Um, and so this this dude just kind of walks in and holds the like the floor hostage. So they they have to bring in the the cops and kind of like talk him down. And he has like the lead camera, the person who like runs the who's like the big star of the show. She holds him and one of like the camera operators hostage for the entire movie. Um, and they're just kind of like trying to like talk him down and things like that. So it's a really interesting idea for a movie. It sounds really fun. In the first like 30 minutes, it was really gripping. Um, but then after that, I was kind of just waiting for what this movie was going to be because I feel like we've seen a version of this movie before, right? Where someone just barges in and holds these people hostage and you do something with like Stockholm syndrome or whatever. Um, but this movie just kind of ends. It doesn't really do anything new. Um, there's good performances, but you just wait for something where you're waiting for the other shoe to drop and it never does. So it just really, it leaves you really cold. So, um, I don't know. I, I can't ever bash this movie. I guess it's the, why this is the most okay movie because it's fine. It's, the acting is really good. The direction's pretty good, but it just doesn't really do much. Then the movie's over and then you move on with your life. So that's did, mine. <laughs> did you see the movie? Um, what was that one with George Clooney where he's like the... I was just thinking about yeah. that. Oh, um, yeah. oh, what is that? Oh, it's, it's like, like tip of my tongue. I can do it. And he's, uh, he's Money like, Monster. Yeah, yes. Money Monster. Yeah, yeah. And the guy's like the one percent are stealing from us. And he's like holding them <laughs> hostage the entire time. And like, that's, it's so heavy handed sound. It, that, what you just said sounds exactly like that to me. Yeah. They're trying to do like this weird, it's the, there's a few times where you're like, Oh, this guy doesn't really, what is his motive? Oh, this is interesting. Let's figure out what this is. And then I guess maybe that was the point of the movie as well, but where it ends, it just doesn't, it's just, it's just kind of uninteresting to me. I feel like, it thought so hard about what the ending was that it doesn't really have an ending. You know what I mean? So I feel like a movie like this is always hinges on kind of like what that release of tension is in the, like the third act. So um, yeah, it's just kind of, it's just kind of there. It's nothing. I don't hate it. I'm sure some there was people... a handful of movies that ended that way for me that had good ideas that did some good work all the way through and then it gets to the end and it just is kind of fumbles it. Yeah. I didn't get to see this one, but now I'm kind of glad that I missed it. I feel that as like a screenwriter where it's like, I fuck it. I have no idea to end it. Uh, it's over, you know, yeah, the <laughs> so, end. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of what they did here. But um, Spencer, why don't you share yours? Yeah. Um, the one that I thought was OK, I saw a lot of people responded to. I think it actually won the audience award for world cinema. Um, it's called One for the Road. And this could be a situation of like expectations being too high because uh like Wong Kar Wai produced this movie and he's obviously like a legendary filmmaker um, on an international level. So I was expecting, I think, something a little like less kind of cliche. Um, this movie's heart's definitely in the right place. And I didn't hate watching this movie by any means. Like, I think the performances are good. There's some really interesting editing and sequences. Um, but ultimately, I just kind of like walked away from it kind of feeling like that that's like it with this movie i i guess i just uh i i don't know i feel like the subject matter it's exploring has been done before and better um so 
I don't know, like I wanted to love this movie and I kept trying to connect with it and I just never could, I guess, reach that. So one for the road. <laughs> this was my first Sundance movie and I wasn't able to get to Coda at eight. Um, so I was, this was the first one that I watched. <clears throat> We're at odds again, Spencer. I like this movie a lot. And for me, it was more so of the tale that it had with me after it was over. So I thought about this movie a lot. Uh, waiting for more movies to be able to watch. So I, I had a lot of time to think about it. And it hit me more after. I enjoyed it at the time. It does drag a bit, but I was able to find some really, really interesting. And I found it to be profound explorations of this idea of forgiveness and closure, which a lot of movies, a lot of movies dive into this. It's not, it's not a new territory. The thing that I found I don't want to say wholly unique, but different to to this story was he wasn't he wasn't always painted as the good guy. His he wasn't always granted forgiveness. He wasn't always granted the closure that he wanted. Um, I think the dream sequence at the house was probably the best. That's when the movie really turned for me, and you got to see like he wasn't going to always get what he wanted. And so for me, it was more so of the exploration of what this forgiveness and closure costs everyone, not just the person that's seeking it. So what does it cost the people that you're getting it from? Is it worth it? Is it, you know, can it wreck them, you seeking forgiveness and closure? Could it wreck the people that you're trying to get it from and cause even more harm in that way? And I think those ideas are powerful. And so for me, that worked because I was able to to kind of attach myself to those things as it went on. I do want to watch it again, though, to see if they hold up in the film or if it's something I got to think about when it's over. Because if you got to think about it for hours when it's over, then it doesn't really work that well. So I want to see if it does, if those things come across clear just right there on screen. But I really enjoyed it. I saw the two hours and 20 minutes for this movie and I said, nope, <laughs> so I guess to continue the theme of the short movies for me. But um, yeah, I, I did want to see it because I had uh, Spencer along with you. I saw that Juan Carroyo was involved. So I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting to me. But um, yeah, I'd like to see it at some point. I don't know if that movie actually got bought, but um, who knows? So I mean, um, I, Aubrey, I, why don't you? Sorry, I, I guarantee you it's going to be really, really big, and I'm trying that for sure. I think it's going to be like a huge crowd pleaser over there, so it'll be out in some form, I guarantee. Um, Aubrey, you want to give your pick? So mine's Land. I almost forgot, which tells you everything you need to know about. I honestly, Omar, <laughs> when you were when I'm glad Spencer says them because I didn't have anything when you first came to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute, what? What? I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. Land is is a so. Shout my wife out. She watches these movies. I don't know why I just did that. Um, shout my wife out. She watches these movies with me. She loves movies. And she has this way of doing this where I'll be like, we'll watch a movie. She'll, I'll look at her and she'll go, it was fine. And then just completely forget it. And she'll never mention that movie ever again. That's how I felt when this one was over. Like, it's good. It's well made. Robin Wright does a good job. It's about her suffering like a tragedy with her family so she goes and lives off the grid in wyoming i only know it's wyoming because i just read it in imdb um it's (laughs) (laughs) it this movie is i don't i don't want to sound like i'm shitting on it because it's good and people will find i think there's an audience that will really enjoy it seeing a woman like kind of find herself and change her life around and do all that stuff is really powerful 
and it's a good thing that needs to be told. Like, I don't mind that I watched it. It's like I said, it's well made and well acted. The only gripe I have is Kim Dickens couldn't get a little bit more time. I I like Kim Dickens. I'm a fan of Kim Dickens. We couldn't we couldn't find my girl a little bit more work to do. She's like she's there for like one scene in a phone call. That's that's my only real complaint. But other than that, the movies it's it's a it's a good movie that some will really enjoy. I have already mostly forgot about it. I saw the I read the synopsis for this when I was like doing my schedule and I was like this sounds like the most average movie ever and it sounds like i feel like everyone was like yeah this movie's okay it's nothing really to write home about yeah uh aubrey like perfectly articulated i couldn't add anything to that it reminded me of like a not as interesting version of wild with reese witherspoon (laughs) it's like i like wild actually i thought it had some interesting stylistic choices this was Every single thing you expect it to be when you read the synopsis is exactly what it is. Like it literally, there's nothing surprising or particularly interesting about it, but it's perfectly inoffensive. So I would describe it. Except Kim Dickens not getting more screen time. <laughs> okay, that's that's fair. You, you, I don't have a dog in that fight, but you go for it. <laughs> I'll die on this hill. I don't care. Kim Dickens is a treasure. <laughs> speaking of speaking of hills that I'm going to die on, uh, our next category <laughs> is uh, the movie you liked but no one else did, and I've been waiting this entire podcast to talk about Mother Schmuckers, which is a movie that I say is just unironically good. Um, and people, I loved reading the reviews for this movie because people thought it was the dumbest, most vile thing they've ever seen in their lives. And me knowing that this movie is just going after extreme anti-comedy, like it's trying to do the most abhorrent and awful things possible at every step. I was like, you guys played yourselves like this. You played in the movie's hands. This is exactly what it was trying to do for for you. But um, I guess I should explain the movie a little bit. So this movie is once again, 70 minutes long. Perfect. I'm just going to keep explaining this this one. So basically, I feel like we're doing Prisoners of a Ghostland again. Uh, it's basically about two really stupid, really sweaty, and also starving brothers, um, which is really, it's very weird. They're just very gross looking. Um, they have a dog, and it's named January, January Jack, I think. And on one of their crazy escapades to try to find food, um, this movie takes in Belgium, takes place in Belgium, by the way. It's a, it's a, it's a Belgian movie, but... Um, they lose, they lose the dog, and they have to run on this Safdie Brothers-esque um, trip to find the dog again and go through all these crazy people. And just they kind of keep digging themselves a deeper and deeper hole to find their dog again um, to, to please their mother, who is uh, just an awful human being who hates them and, like, threatens to throw a clarinet at them for the entire runtime of the movie. Um, so this movie is actively trying to be as gross as possible. So these people are awful human beings. <laughs> they interact. I think they have, they, they get a gun at one point and they just like shoot a, a homeless man in the hand and there's just a gaping wound in it. Um, <laughs> they're just trying to do uh, literally at every chance. Uh, this movie is trying to do the worst thing possible. And I, that made me laugh. It made me laugh really, really hard. It's almost, this movie is almost poetically stupid. Like it is so so stupid 
that it puts every other gross out comedy to shame and how dumb it is. Um, I thought this movie was really stupid. Um, some of the editing is hilariously awkward. Um, yeah, it's just people yelling at each other and being really awkward and sweaty and gross for 70 minutes. Um, I thought this movie was really, really funny, <laughs> but, uh, I know Spencer really liked this movie too. So I'll kick it over to him. I mean, yeah, this is my choice as well. Uh, I would say Nick likes it better than I do. Um, and I liked it quite a lot. Uh, I think that 70 minute runtime you feel it a little bit which is saying a lot <laughs> in my true. opinion you definitely do but uh i the way i describe this movie is it's like if dumb and dumber was directed by john waters um and i think that's pretty much the perfect way to do it but not even that artful <laughs> like john waters is, it's it's more in the disgusting sensibilities just trying to be as like gross as possible um, even if I had hated this movie, seeing my girlfriend's reaction to the first five minutes of it would have made me at least give it three stars on Letterboxd because of how, like, she looked horrified and then she turned around pretty quick and we were, like, laughing our asses off. There's a scene about ten minutes in the movie that takes place in a grocery store that has the <laughs> most hilarious editing I've seen in a movie um, in ages. Um, so, yeah, if you're on this movie's wavelength, uh, then I think you're really going to enjoy it. It's super funny, super uh, disgusting. But I also think there's like an innocence to the disgustingness a lot of the time because it's you're dealing with two characters who are just so stupid and view the world a completely different way than like basically anyone else that uh, the movie almost feels at times kind of endearing how disgusting it's getting, which is such a weird thing to say. And I'm not even sure I understand what I'm saying, <laughs> but um, you kind of have to watch the movie to get what I am saying. And also is mildly enjoy the movie as I did. So um, yeah, I, I can see it going either way for people. Like Nick said, though, if, if you hate this movie as violently as some people do, you're literally giving the exact reaction that these two guys wanted. And I think that that's kind of hilarious too. So yeah, the, the biggest joke that this movie has is that it exists at all. Uh, like it's literally just one big stupid joke. And I love, I love that kind of form of anti-comedy because I do think that um, I thought a lot of Tim Heidecker a lot, who's a com who's a comedian. I really like who actively tries to be as awkward and weird as possible. Um, and that in of itself is like a really good just commentary on what makes us laugh in general. Um, so I think this movie kind of falls in line with that. We're like, yeah, these are these characters are basically brain dead. They're really stupid, but they act earnestly to everything that they see, which also means that it's kind of like a run of the mill experience for them, which is really, really funny considering the places this movie goes. But um, yeah, there's some really gross stuff in this movie. Um Honestly, yeah, my, I'm not. I'm not. I'm a, I'm a little unproud of the things I laughed at in this movie, but um, I love this movie, and all of your half star letterbox reviews just give me more power. So, um, <laughs> well, you will never great. look at a chicken the same way after watching this movie. I can say that, <laughs> or a dog. Honestly, there, we'll, we'll leave that there. Uh, <laughs> but enough about Mother Schmuckers, uh, Aubrey. Why don't you give us your pick? I don't think we could have picked two movies on op, like more opposite sides of a spectrum. So, and 
I think my choice speaks more about my timeline, my Twitter timeline, than it does anything else. Because I think this movie's good, but the reaction I saw to it was really, well, it was bland. People just kind of saw it and then went about their business. But the movie that I, that I really enjoyed was Together Together, the Ed Helms movie, where he is, he's like a 40-year-old man who basically hires this woman to have a baby for him. And I thought that this movie was going to be a little bit more crazy than it was because that sounds ridiculous. Um, but it turns out to be like this really sweet, kind movie. And what I was drawn to so much about it is after watching, I saw this one right after Prisoners of Ghostland. So this was the very next movie. <laughs> That's an amazing chaser. <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw it, it. It was later in it was later in the festival. So I'd seen all of these like just dark, sad, depressing movies. And then here's one that's full of hope and kindness. And it's just really sweet and nice to watch. And I felt good watching it. I enjoyed it. And I felt good when it was over. And I was like, I want to watch this again. I would watch this again just because it was so enjoyable. It's not like a groundbreaking movie. I'm not even, there's not even a ton in it that I'm like, you have to see this thing. It just makes you feel good. And to me, feel-good movies are really important, especially when you're watching some of the things that I watched. Like, it's just nice to have something that's different and remind you that the world is not always dark and twisted and sinister. <laughs> there is some parts of it that <laughs> and makes sense. Yeah, I thought this movie was cute. I feel like I'm kind of in the same, in that realm you're talking about, where I thought this movie was generally okay but i do agree where i think this is like this definitely wasn't in consideration for my most okay movie because i think it does bring a lot of like heart and empathy towards the situation which yeah like you said it's a little ridiculous but a lot of people go through it and so i think it does like it, it imbues both those characters which is like a lot of empathy for their situations um and yeah it's basically just ed helms who's the guy and Patty Harrison, who I thought was amazing in this movie. Yes. I'm um, just kind of talking and just building their relationship for an hour and a half. Um, um, I, yeah, I don't think anything was too revolutionary about this movie, but it is really sweet. And I think it does share like a, like a version of life that we don't see a little bit, a lot on screen. So I agree with you. I think this movie was nice. I think it's only ridiculous when you match the premise with Ed Helms. That's, That's true. <laughs> if anyone else is in this role, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a really insightful look into this in this person's life in this situation. When it's Ed Helms, I'm like, I have no idea what this is going to be or how serious he's going to take it. And he he did a good job. It was a good movie. I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, our next category here is, I guess, a little bit of a quick one, but it's the movie that you were most bummed you didn't see. So, um None of us saw 55 movies, so there are a few gaps in the movies we saw. Um, so I guess, Spencer, what's mo a movie that you were really bummed and get a chance to check out? Pleasure. Yeah, nothing to add there? No, 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 no. I'll add some real quick. Uh, <laughs> you said it was going to be short, so I just wanted to give the one word. But uh, yeah, it got picked up by A24, so at some point I'll be able to see this. I heard a lot of a good buzz off of this movie and neither me or somebody else here may or may not have been able to see it. So <laughs> I don't want to steal anybody's thunder. So it was me guys. I didn't see pleasure either. I know. <laughs> I know the tension was thick, 
But I I was excited to see this movie, which I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure what that says about the people that were excited to see this movie. I was really disappointed I didn't get to see it. I am looking forward to seeing it, and the buzz, the the way people talked about it. So some of the stuff I saw is <clears throat> that I found interesting wasn't just that the movie was good, but it was more so of like that it was a bit tough to watch because it was so like it was authentic and it was it seemed like a real exploration of that that intrigued me even more just because uh, what interests me is a look into something that I would never normally get to see a look behind and so to see that it is you know a really effective look into that it seems it just drives my intrigue even more yeah it feels like it's a match made in heaven that a24 bought this movie so For hopefully sure. a lot of people do do see it but yeah i saw this movie um i won't say much about it but it's really good um it really deals with consent in a really interesting and provocative way um so yeah the movie is really really good the lead performance is, is amazing but uh the movie i didn't get a chance to check out that i'm really bummed about was summer of soul which was quest love's documentary which was um it just it won all the awards. Uh, it just it looked really really cool. Basically, as a concert doc. Um, yeah, I just it looked really neat, and I was trying to check it out on the last day, but I ran out of time and watched uh, Jockey instead. So <laughs> I chose I chose wrong. It seems like. <laughs> Is this where I get to brag because I got to see this movie? Go right ahead. <laughs> it's. I mean, I'm not going to spend forever talking about it. It did win all the awards. It's. It's a really good movie. I think it'll reach. If it really depends how interested you are in what it is that they're going into, which I mean, it's true with any documentary, but it's like part, it's like half concert, half documentary. Like you get to experience the actual like event that they're documenting. So I thought that was pretty cool and how it blend together was pretty cool too. It's, it's a solid documentary. Questlove is just a super talented dude, so I like to check out anything he does. My wife, but... my wife was like, "Could you imagine being like so talented that you did this in your spare time?" <laughs> did you guys yeah, see wild. his reaction to winning like the best documentary? It was so yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. He's literally just driving to work, and he's like, "Oh shit! I didn't even know you guys handed out awards. Like this is so crazy. I was not prepared for this. Like it was so funny. It's like now." wish that i had like caught this movie so yeah i'm bummed yeah. i didn't catch it either nick yeah i think it's it's headed to i think it's searchlight pictures bought it the artist formerly known as fox searchlight but um it's going to hulu f soon after that so uh people will get a chance to see it but we'll move on from there um this next category is kind of a cheat but it's our catch-all category because we just wanted to talk about a few movies that we really couldn't fit into our other categories uh so Aubrey, why don't you give us a rundown of a few movies that you just want to quickly mention? So we talked about a bunch of them already on the count of three, Cuz Coda. So there's two that I I really want to talk about. Try Harder uh, is a documentary um, about so California seniors at a at a prep school that are trying to get into college, which doesn't sound is not a pitch for everybody. But this kind of fits my wheelhouse based off of what I do, but also the fact that I'm interested in coming of age stories and just exploring the realities of the way education works, I think is also something that I'd watch pretty much any documentary about education because there's so much ground to be covered there. Um, And this one is a really, it's a strong document of 
of a different perspective of education, which is why I like this so much. Because even as a teacher, even when I'm talking to people, people ask me about like, they want to hear the stories about, you know, the rough stuff or kids or how bad they are. That's where the conversation usually goes. And when you see a documentary about education, it usually goes to the bad stuff, like poor schools and the way that this isn't working and like bad kids and bad teachers and a bad system. And this one is kind of the opposite of all of that. It's how the system can like how the college system can basically chew these kids up and spit them out in a way that's that's complicated and complex and and a bit troubling at times while also being somewhat inspiring it's a really interesting documentary if you care about the specific thing it's documenting and i was really moved by it and it's one that i didn't imagine a lot of people would watch but i knew it was something that i i picked out really early it was a good one. And then the other one is the pink cloud, which I guess is is the weird is is my brand of weird. Like this this as soon as I read the description, I was like, I'm in. This is this sounds crazy. And my wife was like, I'm out. I don't want to see that or even hear about it. Um it's it takes a bit of a different turn because we're in a pandemic now. So they made a point, the filmmaker made a point to talk about how they made this pre-COVID. And so um, basically just the description is after a toxic and mysterious pink cloud appeared. Giovanna finds herself stuck in a flat with a man she just met, changing her life in a way that she never expected. And that pitch alone is interesting to me. But the way that they go through it, how much time is covered, how they deal with uh, the circumstance that they're in, I found to be really interesting, especially in the midst of the uh, the pandemic that we're in now. it was a little weird in the third act. The story kind of lost itself a little bit towards the end for me, but I really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a really good movie. Yeah, those were two that I really wanted to check out, but just whatever. I just couldn't get a chance to see it, and I was really bummed about it. But um, I had a few. I actually have four movies that I quickly want to mention here. Um, all of them are movies that I liked and I think have rose in my estimation since I saw them. Uh, so the first one is Passing which is Rebecca Hall's uh, directorial debut, which is about um, two characters in, played in the, 19, in the 1920s. Uh, it stars Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nega, who Ruth Nega's character passes as white. Um, and there's a really interesting, almost psychosexual relationship between both of them, how they both kind of want what the other wants, where Tessa Thompson is a little... Um, she is jealous that Ruth Nega gets to live this uh, life with uh, all these white people, whereas Tessa Thompson or Ruth Nega is, uh, is pretty jealous of Tessa Thompson being able to just live her true self and live with, with live in her community as well. So it's this really interesting tension filled movie that I thought it, it rode me a little cold at first, but has gotten more and gotten better and better since I've since I've really sat on it. And I think the movie got picked up by Netflix. So I'm sure a lot of people will see that and have a lot to say about it. But um, yeah, that one was really, really terrific. The next one I wanted to quickly mention was the dog who wouldn't be quiet, which I don't even know how to describe this movie, uh, but it's 70 minutes long and it's a slice of life movie that basically runs into a pandemic world ending movie. And, and with like 20 minutes to go, it's a very bizarre movie, uh, which I really liked and I thought was really fascinating. So uh, that's that's another one. Um, I Was a Simple Man was a really atmospheric, uh, just 
con- contemplative existential movie uh, that I really enjoyed about a, a Hawaiian man who's basically on his deathbed and just contemplate, contemplating his entire life. And his dead girlfriend comes back to visit him. Um, I, th- I thought it was a really terrific movie. Um, I don't think people liked it as much as I did, but I really liked it. And then the last one I mentioned before was The World to Come, uh, which stars our boy uh, Christopher Abbott as the worst husband ever. Uh, just a terrible dude, uh, but it's a relationship between Catherine Waterston and Vanessa Kirby, um, and they're just amazing at it. And Casey Affleck is also really good in it as well as Catherine Waterston's um, husband. So that mo- all of those are just movies I can't recommend enough. But um, yeah, that's kind of the movies we missed out on, or I guess the movies we really liked. Um, uh, I, I so... have one to add, actually. One real quick. Um, Coming Home in the Dark. Uh, it was a midnight section movie um, from New Zealand, actually. Um, did either of you get the chance to watch this one? No. Oh, man. This movie, like, keep this on your radar for sure. Uh, it's super, super brutal and, like, upsetting. But it kind of, um, in some ways, reminded me of No Country for Old Men, um, which obviously is, like, this great thriller. Uh, mostly because it follows in a lot through a lot of the film, it follows like this absolute like cutthroat psychopath. Um, and let me just real quickly look up the actor's name who plays him because he was like extraordinary in the movie. Um, Daniel Gillies, I believe his name is. Um, he plays the villain, and he is just like so creepy and gross, and he chills you to the bone um so i'd say that that's the thing i took away most from this film but i totally think that this film is worth seeing if i'm not mistaken it's the debut of this director and i am so curious to see what he does next like it was really really something yeah that one sounded really cool Uh, just another one i just didn't get a chance to check out but it was um, like a conflicting time for me i think i yeah i think i watched a a glitch in the matrix instead so i would have actually preferred to see what you were talking about <laughs> yeah <laughs> i saw glitch in the matrix okay. and i could tell you you should have watched coming home in the dark first <laughs> well, can i add one more real quick though mass did you guys get to see mass i didn't see mass, i, I no. saw mass yeah and so mass was is a movie that i think is good i think it's a really interesting topic having you know two parents of victims of a school shooting basically confront each other i think it in, turns into a really interesting political argument um where it fell flat for me is i don't know how good of a movie it is as opposed to like just a couple people sitting in a room and so the love that i saw that it got across my timeline was a bit surprising so i just wanted to get a gauge for what you know you guys thought or what maybe you guys heard about it because i thought the movie was more interesting than it was good i i think what really sells mass and what people will probably take away from it It has four great lead performances um and that's it's it's essentially a play which is kind of why i feel like you were alluding to what that takes place primarily in one room and in that one room it's just a conversation um and it did feel obviously it's a very politically charged movie and with me when you're talking about gun control you're preaching to the choir so I don't think really for most people who are already on the same page, it's totally necessary. But uh, I agree with you. I don't think it's like it didn't blow me away or anything. It wasn't like the movie of the fest. But I definitely got something out of it. I would say I enjoyed it. And or well, 
maybe not enjoyed it, but I appreciated yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I, all I've heard is basically kind of that good performances, but the movie itself is a play. Uh, so um, we will move on to our final category, which um, we all have the same movie. I don't know if that's anticlimactic or climactic, but either way, we all shared uh, the same favorite movie, which was Judas and the Black Messiah, which I guess when this pod drops, this movie will be out on HBO Max, which I think is really cool that um, I guess normally movies don't use Sundance as like a stepping stone to release immediately like they do with some other festivals. So I thought this was kind of cool that everyone can see this movie now. But uh, yeah, this movie's a freight train. I hope this wins all the awards. Um, yes, I guess. Yeah, this movie's just it just kind of just knocks you over. It's so powerful and good. Um, yeah, this movie's <laughs> this movie's unbelievable. I feel like this is a cheat answer because when you say bet, I just feel like this is the end. You almost have to remove it to talk about Sundance because this is just the, I know the feeling that we had when this movie was, it was that time we like sat down and it was just one of those when me and my wife looked at each other and we're like, yep, we're about to watch Judas and the black Messiah. Like, and then not to say that I live up to expectations, but it just, it, it blows you away. It just from the jump, it, it, it just moves forward with this pace and intensity that is, that is incredible and daniel kaluuya is is different he is different in this movie <laughs> like i it's so easy when you watch so many movies and you talk to people about movies to just say this person's incredible all the time that it starts to lose meaning and then you see him do this and you're just like okay well everyone's not acting the same way he is and yeah. he's not the only standout in the movie because like the key Stanfield is great. Um, a lot of the other people that are in the film are great. It's just impossible not to walk away thinking about him, which I think is beautiful because then you start thinking about Fred Hampton, which is an untold story, which is something I could rant about for hours and hours and hours. But it's it's a it's an incredible movie. Yeah, honestly, if Daniel Kaluuya doesn't win Best Supporting Actor, like I don't really know what like the point of the Oscars is. Like it's just a, it feels like such a slam dunk. It's like a transcendent like all timer performance. Honestly, like it cemented. I already thought he was one of the best actors working, but it's like it was just like a total confirmation there. Like he is so unbelievable. There's the there's the one speech he makes when his character leaves prison. It's like right in the middle of the movie, which is just one of the most like unbelievable things. And that scene itself, there's like three different stories being told in it. And it's just, it's just, it blows your, it blows your doors off. It is so At good. This point, but... His career's like overkill. He should have already won an Oscar. This is like, like his, this is one of the better performances I've seen in a while. And I'm not even sure it's his best performance. Like he's just so good all the time i consider this to be overkill but you're right he what i loved about his performance is i knew it was going to be big because of who he's portraying but it's the it's the quiet moments it's the thoughtfulness he gives to to fred hampton it's the the kindness that he applies to him it, it changes the narrative around who he was and the black panthers in general in a way that i find inspiring and beautiful and interesting and just it's just top-notch work. Yeah, uh, quickly. Um, I yeah, I'm ashamed to say I didn't really know much about Fred Hampton before watching this film, uh, and this movie blew me away. Like 
everything about this movie is magnetic, in my opinion. Um, starting with Daniel Kaluuya, who, you know, like, I agree with you, Aubrey. Like, this guy is somebody who has been kind of on my radar since uh, the Black Mirror episode that he was in. Um, yes. Yeah, but Get Out is probably my favorite horror film of the 21st century so far that or the witch i would say and in that like i think his performance even though it was like oscar nominated i still think it's an underrated performance um but in this movie i feel like he tops everything he's done before he's that that speech nick alluded to is like it is like the peak of what filmmaking can be that entire scene it's it's so powerful and it's so you feel like you're in the room with the guy and he's commanding the room. Like it's, it's unbelievable acting at a level that, you know, most actors will never reach. And Daniel Kaluuya is like not an old guys, you know, at the front half of his career, like hopefully, you know, and so, but also Lakeith Stanfield, who um, I'm a huge fan of, I love the show Atlanta and he plays my favorite character in Atlanta. Uh, I've been a fan of his for a while. I, mentioned several times sorry to bother you which i think is absolutely outstanding um he is insane in this movie he, he's given a really complicated role that he hasn't really played before and i think he is more than up to the task as well so i would say everything about this movie is top notch it's an absolute must see i hope it does really really well um in awards and i agree if daniel kaluuya doesn't win supporting actor i i don't even know what to say like i think that it's a travesty if he if he doesn't so I'm yeah, the rest of the, yeah, it's just stupid. The rest of the cast is unbelievable. Like, yeah, like I feel like Daniel Kaluuya might steal a lot of the conversation and for good reason because he's just like stupid good in it. But like Keith Stanfield is unbelievable in this movie. I love Dominique Fishback too. Yes, we gotta plays, mention her. Uh, Fred Hampton's wife. I thought she was terrific because normally like the wife character is like a pretty thankless part, but I think she. I think she is the one that's bringing like so much like soul and intrigue to that part. I thought she was great in it. And Jesse Plemons too, who I always love who for every single movie turns more into Philip Seymour Hoffman for me. Like he's just so good <laughs> in this movie. Um, I basically, I just want Chaka King who directed this to just be given all the projects. Cause he, the way he directs this movie, it's so magnetic and it's so pul- pulsating. It's just, there were like a few things where like there's so many different characters in this movie that get screen time, but like the movie is so well directed that you almost forget how it can kind of get like kind of jump all over the place to all these different characters. I think he he balances it so well with uh, like his filmmaking. It's just whew, it's just it's really good. And and one more thing, he is so good at building tension in this movie. There's like yes. a couple scenes that I was like holding my breath watching, and it's like it's one of those movies that you feel a ton of sympathy for, you know, Lakeith Stanfield, whose character is like ultimately somebody who is doing a pretty reprehensible thing. Um, and I, I would by like, I felt crazy amounts of sympathy for him. I think that speaks to not only the acting by Lakeith Stanfield, but also to the screenplay, which I thought was extraordinary. And I think the screenplay will probably be overlooked. And that, that makes me so upset. <laughs> Yeah. But Shaka King also has <clears throat> he also has like quite the task because he basically has to 
to rewrite the narrative of the Black Panthers because of the way their story has been told throughout American history. There's going to be a lot of people that walk in there that don't know. I'll even I'm ashamed to say that I'm not super familiar with Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers. Like I know, I know enough. I know some. I know you know what I've what I've been able to pick up here and there, but I was never taught it. You know, it was and it's not something I can confirm. It is not something being taught in schools. Like it's not. They're not even a reference point. And if if you even look into historical documents or movies that that touch on the Black Panthers, they're never they're rarely painted in a positive light or even given any level of nuance or complexity. And so he has to essentially rewrite that whole narrative at a time when it's incredibly hard to rewrite that because the brand of the Black Panthers is already so complicated. And I think he does a really wonderful job. And, and like I said before, the quiet moments of showing like the depth of Fred Hampton. And it wasn't just all the bombast and everything that we can easily remember him for. There was a lot of depth and intention and thoughtfulness and intelligence behind what he was doing. And that to me is wonderful. But also that the, the way you talk about Lakeith Sanfo's character is, is beautiful. The fact that there is even a pull to have any kind of sympathy for him is is master storytelling yeah it's just this movie is i think it's so nuanced in so many different ways and i mean i feel like it's such a crutch to say like the movie that takes place in the past is so much to say about today but it's like this movie has like everything like it's just everything that's happened in the past like year or so um especially on the heels of game stonk there was so many there was conversations of capitalism or socialism that i thought were really interesting in the movie um yeah there's just so much stuff in this movie everybody has a little bit of nuance jesse Plemons' character i think has a lot to him it's just it's just i kind of wanted this movie to be longer i was kind of hoping it would be like a three and a half hour like godfather-esque epic i thought like that would just sound like the most amazing thing to me but as it stands it's just yeah it's stupid good i hope everyone also, sees it. great title I love I'm the title of this title. movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that best title of this last year, no question. I'm totally with you. So sick. Great title. Yeah, I I want everything for this movie, and I hope it sincerely gets everything, because honestly, it runs in every single Oscar category you could think of. There's like a good addition to throw in there for the nominations, but... Um, yeah, this movie's this movie's a, t- a tidal wave. Um, so I can't recommend people see it see it enough. But yeah, I think that about wraps it up for this time on the Movie Battle podcast. Um, I feel like we've talked Sundance to death. Uh, so thank you both, uh, Spencer and Aubrey, for coming on. I really appreciate uh, all that you do. You guys are the best. Well, thanks for having me. I had a blast. Until the Kissing Booth Part Three spoiler cast, I guess we'll have to have to wait. I I have to prepare for that. I have to do like a Rocky esque, just like training for that because I don't know if I can. I'm I'm not. I'm not up to that level yet. (laughs) Um, But yeah, until next time, be sure to check out the rest of our content out on moviebabble.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. And yeah, until next time, thank you for listening. Mm